Uh, hello and welcome to another episode of the Atlas Podcast. I'm joined as always by Martin. Hello, Martin. Hello, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Nice. Uh, yeah, so today we're looking at, in the news, AWS is currently having their uh, reInvent event, which is a lot of interesting people talking. And I think we wanted to take a look at uh, one of the keynote speeches by Andy Jesse, because there's lots of interesting cloud information in there. Mm, but the conference is going on for three weeks, so it's a kind of um, they're really making the most of the virtual uh, platform that they have. So lots and lots of different speakers and lots and lots of different things to talk about, really. But um, why not talk about the main man? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in our tech spotlight, we're going to have a look at low code versus no code, what the differences are and what the benefits are. And uh, yeah, later on, we should be joined by uh, Marco Cherigini. So, shall we jump into the AWS news? Sure. Uh, okay, so as you said, there's this, uh, it's the reInvent uh, event that's running for about three weeks, hundreds of different speakers. I have to say, obviously this year we've all attended a few digital conferences, but this is the best looking one I've seen. It actually looks legitimate on a nice stage and everything. It's great. It's very sexy, isn't it? They've yeah. really gone for the different branding here. Um, there's no white, soft colours or anything like this. This is this is full full neon. Isn't oh yeah, it? <laughs> a bit of a neon dream. It's great. It's like being imagine like a 1980s disco, but reinvented. It looks. <laughs> yes. I don't know if I'm doing it justice, but yeah, it's good. It's got that chic. Uh, yeah, chic. Chic disco. Mm. Is that the, do you think that when they're during their um, kind of workshops on this, they, that was the phrase they were after? What we need is a bit of chic disco. That's it. That's what people engage with is a bit of disco. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, Andy Jassy is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that, or Andy Yassi is CEO of AWS, which is Amazon Web Services. So yeah. I guess his keynote is pretty important little speech there. Yeah, and it was interesting. He used it as an opportunity to open up um, the conference, really, to talk about um, more pressing matters um, around things like um, uh, Black Lives Matter and the amount of work and effort that's got to be put into making, you know, the equality um, really stick within their business and throughout the globe. So he really used it as a platform there to get straight out of the straight out of the gate um, to to uh, show his support in those kind of things or show Amazon's support. So um, mm. I think Important that was uh, quite an interest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just using it as a platform. Um, platforms, we'll be talking about different types of platforms, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a, a platform for which to speak from. Um, it's interesting. It's impressive stuff. Mm. And then I believe you moved into, yeah, taking a look at sort of the, the landscape 10 years ago versus the landscape now. Yeah, well, the, the conference is called that um, reInvent. And I think that's where they're very conscious that was back in 2020, uh, sorry, 2010, um, AWS was barely on the scene. You know, if you look at the top 10 businesses in uh, enterprise IT, um, Amazon Web Service weren't one of them. Mm. Uh, and they also reflected back on the fact that in 2000, the turn of the century, 
um, 50% of the Fortune 500 businesses were no longer in the 500 rate rankings. That's crazy. So, yeah, so what's happening is both the, the speed and pace of change is actually meaning businesses have to reinvent themselves continuously because um, there is about such a short life cycle now. Mm. If you look at those two stats, that 50% of the businesses are no longer in the Fortune 500 and AWS were not in the top 10 IT businesses in 2010, yet by 2020, um, they're fifth, uh, you know, in this ranking behind the likes of Microsoft, Dell, IBM, uh, Cisco, you know, but above people like HPE, Oracle, SAP, and the like. So a huge rise from where they were from nowhere, but they're also very conscious that a lot of people, businesses fall out of that as well very quickly. Yeah. So um, um, it's gone from being, yeah, I guess it's gone from being very static, you know, you know what to expect to being quite a volatile top 10. Yes. Volatile world, yeah. Yeah, and you do see these things, I don't know if you've seen them, but on LinkedIn where you see a kind of bar graph showing those businesses or brand awareness and things like that and how there wasn't a lot of action and movement and then suddenly this decade or this century things are changing very, very rapidly. Mm. And I think the also the thing is with the amount of rise in cloud technology, you know, cloud technology and the use of cloud is going to be predicted to be something like a 700 billion pound industry by 2027 growing at a rate of 20 percent year on year probably more or whatever that means it's a growing market so with every growing market there's opportunities for lots of competition and change in the market really yeah that doesn't surprise me at all everything i use now it feels like has a, a cloud component or yeah, it's developing in that direction. And they also pointed out, and whether this is sales or whatever, but the amount of businesses pushing towards cloud because of the effect of COVID, they've kind of using it maybe as a rethink around their IT infrastructures, the costs of traditional IT. Mm. Um, so they're seeing more of a, you know, a, a push towards move, moving to cloud. Um, and COVID is one of those... Um, those forces happening, happening, making it happen. Yeah, well, I imagine a lot of businesses have had to readjust to not just working from home, but remote working in general. You know, you can't get everybody into an office together. You can't get everybody around a meeting table. So you need a sort of virtual uh, meeting point where all of these different aspects can come together. And that really is the cloud. Mm, exactly. So they did. he did point out um, eight points. Uh you know, because everybody likes a uh, a list ultimately, um, and then he kind of spoke on these eight points, but it, he interjected it with um, partners who did uh, talk about different parts of um, and how they were involved and things like that. So even though it's nearly a three-hour presentation, it was nicely interspersed with different people talking and things like that. So um, yeah, it was a uh, quite a quite a slick event really um, and the first thing they talked about here was um, leadership um, and the key point of leadership to have a will to want to invent and reinvent mm. which means about the amount of um, amount of investment is required in R&D because of the pace of change we have today 
Um, and that kind of has to come from the top down, really, that change. Yeah. It's got to be a yeah leadership-led sort of movement. Otherwise, I guess if you don't have that push at the top, then it becomes very stalled all the way down. Well, you'd become a bit of a, a, a sideshow, I guess, uh, to what the main and a lot of businesses are trying to run their today's business and not focused on tomorrow. And I guess this is the point he's saying is leadership requires the the leaders to focus on tomorrow and and allow the rest of you know the business to run. But a lot of the leaders are focused on today, not thinking of where we where they're going. Mm. Ultimately, so I think that's where the leadership angle comes in, um, and there were some other things around. Uh, also, give it the balance between thought leadership um, and what they called not fighting gravity. Mm. And I think what they mean by that is, if the market's going one way, sometimes you just can't fight that. And that, I think the gravity there is the market. And I think um, one of those aspects they talked about was the marketplace um, and how. Uh, third parties can uh, present themselves on the marketplace, which I think they weren't necessarily bought into originally, and then they saw the importance of that as a part of it. I think that's fascinating because it's such a key part of their strategy now, the idea that they would be sort of reticent to try and get in there originally. And now, like you say, I mean, having that knowledge to or that awareness that you have to go with certain things because that's the way things are moving so you, you, mm. you might have to go against what you previously might have been your better judgment uh, because that's what the market almost dictates yeah and that'll be about competitors you know we could take apple store or something like this um how do you recreate something that people are happy to buy from mm. and that that happened very readily in the music and movies but what about SaaS applications it's uh, how do you buy them um uh, and that's what the store is really around, and uh, and that kind of leads on to then the, the type of talent and um, invention that these platforms can provide. And when I mean platform, I'm talking about the cloud now, not is <laughs> not not but, you know the cloud platform are very agile, innovative platforms that do allow um, a lot of invention there and creating of apps to create, you know, to go on to these kind of app store approaches. Um, so, you know, driving and and nurturing talent is no different from a football team or something like that. Yeah. You know, you've you got, got to recognize early these people who want to change things, get them in your company yeah. to, uh, yeah, create, create the solutions of tomorrow, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And those solutions on these kind of platform approaches are more like um, architectural building blocks. Um, and this is kind of one of those things that also the cloud is kind of bringing together, is that it used to be about everything about computer programming. Now it's about understanding the platform and how you put that, how you build that platform to solve problems as well. Mm. So architecture is becoming, especially with the um, likes of uh, Kubernetes and Docker and containers and how you manage all of that kind of thing. They are your architectural building blocks a lot of the time, um, and it's something we've really got into. Um, uh, as a part of the stuff that we build, because it's not really, and then we use the term cloud, and maybe we'll do a session on this, but 
cloud isn't isn't really cloud it's a it's a way of building and architecting it solutions that have um scale um that's the kind of key thing there um and therefore the more granular you break something down as in the uh, microservices approach um then the more components that you need to tie together and build and collaborate together mm. um, and that's that kind of building approach really whole new approach to yeah like you say it's it's almost uh, separate from what uh, software development was that aim mm. of creating one single thing it's now combining many different approaches into creating something that can be yeah, scalable, adaptable, changeable on a day-by-day basis. Yeah, it's it's exciting stuff for sure. Yeah, and that that, that talent um, links into the speed and also links into the subject of low-code and no-code, mm. really. Because, yes, you do have to do some coding on these platforms, but how do you do that coding? Do you do that with traditional coding? Um, uh, not approaches, because Agile changes the approach, but um, with the kind of low-code, no-code approach, you can um, have these kind of citizen developer. means that there's more democratization of the way that um, applications are built and therefore more speed around it. Mm. Obviously, as we've seen, democratization of uh, information and data also has its challenges, but it does mean that things are far faster. And we, once again, we find that we're releasing every two weeks um, uh, just because the architectures that cloud allow for allow us to have very modular um, and updates. So you can update very small parts of the overall cloud infrastructure without affecting other bits. Um, so that means testing is a lot more streamlined and the release management, it can be a lot more frequent. Yeah, and I guess it's it's coming back to that thing we talk about a lot is the the SaaS versus COTS. With this approach, you don't have to buy a software off the shelf which does two things you want and five things you don't. You can really start developing programs and software that work specifically for your business. Yeah, and that, and that was the seventh point there. We talked about use platforms with the broadest and deepest tool set. Mm. Um, and that's everything from AI modules um, all the way through to different, you know, different types of databases, different types of storage, things like blockchain built into it. Um, you, you've got your Internet of Things. You've got your hybrid edge computing. You know, all of those aspects are all, all built into these kind of platforms. And actually understanding the platform is, is you know, because they're so big and vast now, yeah. um, you know, just understanding the platform and how to pull everything together is, is, is key uh and yeah i you know the the direction of travel as you said being pushed from covid and businesses looking at the cloud means that there's maybe now this is kind of an unstoppable juggernaut that um the traditional applications on-premise applications and things like that if they don't become cloud native or those businesses that don't understand how to become cloud native will struggle in the next five years I think so. Yeah, at least being able to interface with that world at the at the minimum, um, you'll you'll be left behind. I'm sure. 
And they, they were talking, I won't go too much into what they are thinking about reinventing because mm. that's a part of their business, but they, they did talk about three things about, they call about instances, how do we manage and control instances of, of um, you could talk about hybrid edge computing or whatever it is. I mean, the, the, they, they talked about hybrid a bit, but um, mainly around the confusion and complexities around what was meant by hybrid. But as we were with the things like um, yeah, trying to do in the edge, really it's about a distributed cloud, really. Um, and it's all about latency, how quick you need that um, round trip between whatever you're talking to. So distributed cloud allows you to have a, a, a less latency, which is kind of ideal for deploying stuff into a 5G network or things like this. But you're always going to need that scalability and power in the center there. Mm. Um, and one way to create a level of control is coming back to the kind of containers, container management. Um, it's going to be unbelievably uh, powerful is already but the use of it's going to grow and grow um, and what they call serverless architectures which is pretty much um, the uh, microservices that we talked about um, they, they're called lander in aws but um, the more trans the more applications migrate from their traditional monolithic applications into the microservices the more power of that kind of scalability they will have so there's a lot of reinvention to be happened in that area. Um, so, yeah, a lot, lot to cover. Uh, we've kind of tried to compress it almost into 15 minutes yeah. just over. <laughs> I think we've done a pretty good job, Yeah, uh, considering yeah, it's a, a three-hour total. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's one, conf that's one uh, keynote speech over three weeks. So I think there's several different keynote speeches mm. and other talks as you go along. So if you were really uh, into binging on cloud, um, then the uh, three-week um, reinvent uh, conference AWS are putting on is your is your dream. Your, um, your first stop. Well, we'll certainly put a link to it in the in the description below. And I, I'm going to keep an eye on and see if there's anything I can... Uh, jump in for an hour for here or there. Excellent. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, well, should we take a quick look at low code versus no code? I know it's come up a little bit in what we've just been talking about there. And I know we at Atlas, we're very much a, a no code platform. Um, so, yeah, take it away. Yeah, well, there's two things to that, really. Um, I mean, we're also looking at the low code as well and understanding the difference between them, uh, really. Um, and from our perspective, let's let's start a little bit with what low code is because we also, you know, do dabble in those kind of things. So to me, and this might be my interpretation of it, mm. um, low code really is a, a rapid um, development environment. Um, that allows you to build applications uh, that meet requirements in a in a rapid way. Um, where what that means is that whatever tools you're using, and they might be graphical tools to define the data schemas that sit behind the functionality you want. Generally, they then have some kind of workflow engine that allows you to manage the state state changes of whatever you're looking to do. Mm. And then you've got to have some kind of um, graphical uh, 
builder that allows you to tie all of those kind of things together. Um, and they used to be called case tools in the past. So uh, there was a whole set of case tools that allowed um, a graphical way of doing programming and to automatically generate a level of code. Um, but it didn't take into account all of those other facets, like I said, the, the data schemas that are required for it, um, the user front end. So these kind of low-code platforms now, bringing all of those facets together, allow non-programmers, um, and we'll discuss a little bit about <laughs> the programmer aspect of it, but allow um, those people with a, a, a good idea to rapidly develop an application um, and then to deploy that application into some kind of cloud environment or something like this. Right. So that's that kind of citizen developer aspect that I talked about, is that there's often lots of people who've got some good ideas um, and they just want to try something out, experiment, prototype, develop that prototype beyond the prototype into something a bit more application built. And that might lead them into wanting to do a little bit of coding or scripting of particular modules. Um, so the loco platforms do allow you also to then extend the um, your application by putting some scripting into it as well and building your own modules in it. Mm. But the main thing is ultimately you've got to you've got to deploy a um, a, a software as an output of doing the loco process. And then that software is compiled and ran within whatever environment you wanted to run on. And that's that main difference to me between what I believe low code to be is more around your generating code using um, very low code approaches and then deploying that code uh, through some kind of compiled aspect. Right. Um, what we try, what we did with uh, um, with Atlas was taken uh, as a, a no code approach, which is basically you're not compiling a code in the same way as you're doing there. Um, we already develop, develop a platform in the cloud, um, and that platform's the code that we've generated. We haven't used a low-code platform to generate that code. <laughs> um, we've coded that ourselves, but we have used open-source software um, and lots of underlining technologies that are, are cloud-native, including the nano-services or the microservices that we talked about um, with Lander and things like that. But all those different database technologies like MongoDB and all these things that allow for a lot more flexibility yeah. about it um, and other open source uh, approaches. Um, so we provide that platform of which then um, your citizen developer, well, can't be a developer because we're not developing anything, um, but your business analyst within a business can then create their business processes um, using um, BPMN kind of notation, mm. um, uh, but then that is uh, ran within a uh, you know um, a runtime engine that takes that process and makes it an executable process, um, and therefore there isn't the coding at all. You really are just program. You really are defining a process. Um, and then defining what information you want to be either displayed or captured as a part of that process, and then saying what tasks are going to be carried out by which roles and this, like that. So it's far more focused really on the business and the 
um, business end user and the owner of that process than necessarily your your more traditional low code approaches. And one's not better than the other. You know, when we looked at the pros and cons of this, you can say um, low code's very flexible, um, allows you to make very customized solutions and very quickly. Mm. Uh, where with what we've developed is that you can there's the platform's already there. Um, you're just configuring it, and therefore it's even quicker in a way because you can de develop a process within a matter of half an hour and you can be running that process and you haven't had to do any coding at all to get mm. there. But you are limited by um, what is offered there. You know, you have to run it within the process and the display, um, even though the colors can be changed and things like this, ultimately the display is what the display is going to be and how, how it's presented either on the web or on the mobile device is pretty standardized regardless of um, what you're trying to achieve with it. Yeah. So very different uh, um, uh, very different approaches. And yeah. yeah, good for as I mean, as you said, both have their own things that they excel at. And it's it's really down to what you want to achieve as to which you would choose, I assume. Yeah, and there's not necessarily an exclusive. I mean, we do also develop apps that we can have as a part of the process as well. Yeah. You know, so at a stage in the process, you might go, right, okay, use this app to carry out this function. Mm. Um, and therefore, they can be used in that way and collaboratively in, in, in that space as well. Um, ultimately, what we're trying to do is capture all of that data so we can do the lovely data analytics stuff that we talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, so regardless of which way we take, that, that, that's, that aspect of it is absolutely um, the same. Um, and therefore, probably, like I said, the, the users of the system are slightly different as well. So with the low-code approach, it is your citizen developer, um, uh, where with the uh, no-code approach, as we've implemented, it's more your business analyst or your business user who will right. configure the system. Um, because there's even less requirement to know about coding. Um, well, basically, there's no requirement. All you have to do is know a little bit about BPMN, but even then you don't need to know a great deal. You just have to have the principles of knowing how a process works. Um, and there's a lovely phrase called SIPOC, which builds on that. Which, <laughs> which are, SIPOC. I'll leave uh, people to go and have a look for that. But it's basically a way of um, working out what a process is and what its input, output, supplier, consumer, um, and all of that kind of thing that's related to it. So, yeah, no code, low code. Um, that's our, my interpretation of it, I'm sure. As with all things, as they shake down a little bit, there'll be become more clarity. For sure. Um, I guess the only thing I'd add into it, a lot of the cloud providers provide uh, um, low-code platforms within the cloud as well. Mm. So there are third-party um, uh, low-code platforms like Mendix is one of our partners. Um, uh, but uh, they're also built within the cloud applications, these low-code capabilities. Um, like I said, we didn't take that approach in the cloud. We've done conventional um, DevOps approach um, in the cloud, taking a very agile approach to that, using um, all kinds of things uh, like Terraform and Flux and Kubernetes and everything like that to manage our cloud environment. But um, um, ultimately, you know, 
can you get enough rich richness in the application you want using low code or is the rapid development and um, the managing of that rapid development more beneficial because you can create more stuff really mm. taking the citizen developer approach um, i guess that's to be found out really yeah, I think we'll have to. I mean, there's so much to talk about. We've really only touched on the surface of it. We'll have to come back again and do maybe a low-code and a no-code episode. But we'll see what happens in the future. Yeah. But yeah, fascinating stuff. Uh, I think now is as good a time as any to jump over and have a chat with Marco Cherugini. Uh I guess I will see you over there. Um, well, welcome, Marco. Um as you know, we've known each other for quite a while, um, going back a few decades now. Um, but yeah, let's, um, I, I don't know much about your kind of working life uh, before we met at Siemens. Um, what, what, what were you up to originally? Yeah, actually, I mean, I, I started in Siemens so back in 2002. Uh, at that time, I was working in, uh, in R&D, so I started as a, as a developer engineer in, in research and development, always in uh, manufacturing operational management segment of Siemens. Uh, and from there, yeah, I covered different positions within Siemens mom segment. Yeah, I moved to post days to, to see the world a little bit and, and yeah, travel around and, and yeah, basically help manufacturers to implement their MES solution. Uh, then after probably almost Eight years, I decided to do an, an MBA to have a break from from my work and have a full time MBA in uh, RSM School of Management. And when I was back, I had the chance to to go back in R and D uh, and to lead the innovation, uh, uh, basically development for the new uh, Siemens MES product. I, I stayed there for two years up to version. I mean, I think it was version 2.0 of Simatic TUA. And then, yeah, I decided to move forward, uh, joining ATS, so becoming your colleague yeah, that's <laughs> as, right. as, as CTO. And I stayed in ATS a couple of years, uh, which, yeah, was responsible for for ATS product. And, and together, we started the journey of, at that time, SODA, so the innovation mm -hmm. lab of ATS and then you wrote forward into into Atlas and uh, yeah and then my last experience uh, was Mendix so I, I worked in Mendix for almost two years as principal architect and, and Mendix as, as you know is a kind of leading low code platform and after the acquisition of Siemens uh, uh, Basically, Mendix started to become a reality in the manufacturing uh, industry. Mm -hmm. So more and more, we in the last two years, there really saw a solid traction in, in manufacturing for low code. And if big company uh, are, are adopting that in different, uh, basically, part of, of their, uh, let's say, let's extend it, their supply chain. So manufacturing operation is one of that, but it, it's really... Uh, the applicability of low-code in, in, in the in industrial space is quite wide. And uh, yeah, so it's so wide that I really see a big opportunity. I'm seeing a big opportunity to, to, to really change the industry with low-code. Uh, yeah, for that reason, last month, together mm. with, uh, with a friend, uh, yeah, I decided to start my own company 
specialize in low code in uh, in manufacturing. So yeah, I, I saw this. I saw the uh, the uh, post on LinkedIn. That was uh, obviously we'd arranged the interview before that, so it was quite. Uh, quite <laughs> so if we just take a step back, that when you were when you were Siemens and you went back to do the kind of um, managerial side or, or whatever it is, it took some time out. Um, um, what was the difference that you felt after you just done some of the theory behind that? How, and how did you feel like that changed the way that you applied? Um, yeah, yeah, actually, I mean, my background knowledge. was yeah, my background was in engineer. So I mean, I am an engineer, so not necessarily a good thing, but uh, that's my my background. So and I was I was really. I think I, I still was lacking the view on on the business side, so how how basically to to maximize the impact of of, of what you are doing in, in, in for the business. So, yeah, definitely the MBA gave me the opportunity to broaden my my horizon and really open my mind and give me also the the the, the knowledge, so the theory behind the business strategy, marketing, so to to really I mean complete my my profile in. in mm. Because yeah, I would yeah. think, it, I think there's always a, a bit of a similarity between software development and and a manufacturer from the fact that we're manufacturing software, um, but yeah. we don't always see as a, as a a producer of software or as an engineer of software. You don't always see that that there's a market. Um, you're just kind of focused on producing the best software or solving the software issue. If there's not a market for it, then you're producing <laughs> stuff that people don't want, isn't it? So the, yeah. the business side of understanding, you actually have to produce something that people want is quite important. Yeah, yeah. actually, the first question you need to ask yourself, so is there a market for what I'm doing? Because otherwise, yeah, maybe you produce a beautiful piece of software, but then, I mean, yeah, it doesn't have any traction in the market because, yeah, there is no demand for that. Yeah, definitely, that that's bringing... Bringing business as 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 I mean the big uh, physically uh, traction I mean behind uh, software development uh, yeah has helps a lot to make products that are more meaningful and more impactful in, in the industry. So, yeah, another angle. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that we focused on, wasn't it, towards the end there, which was bringing in that user experience design, really thinking about the the end user and, and setting up those personas. And still, I still see an element of that where people just, they, they talk about personas, but they don't necessarily fully understand. You really have to put yourself in their position and think of it from the kind of what jobs do I want to do and all of that type of thing. So even before you get to the the finance and the business part of what you're doing, you really have to understand, you know, you say understand the customer, but it's more really getting quite focused on the, the jobs that that person does and how you can produce software because otherwise things just don't fit, do they? You know, it's that kind of one thing doesn't fit with another. And I guess there with, with low code, um, that's even more so really because, you know, the whole idea of um, rapid development means that you've got to understand what you're trying to develop as well. You can't just develop purely based on requirements. You've got to have a rounder picture or a fuller picture of it. Yeah, and that I see as one of the biggest challenges in, in, in building a, a product or even a solution because, yeah, make people switch their mind and thinking in terms of, yeah, personas, in terms of users. So what are the, the problems the user has? What are the challenges 
they they face and how we can solve it with with uh, with our product or with our software and uh, yeah I, I mean manufacturing is definitely a conservative industry so i mean you see that i mean people tend i mean there are also several other reasons but people tend to to think in terms of waterfall approach mm-hmm. and uh, and it's it's i mean the the, the cultural shift towards agile and 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 the new i mean methodology on how to be a solution because even if i mean at the end of the day for a manufacturing company in terms of i mean manufacturing operation manager they don't surely build a product but they invest a lot of money in, in building a solution that should help them to improve their production and oftentimes you see that that this is not happening because i mean at the end uh, yeah the, the entire development process of the solution is done uh, i mean starting from their own premises and uh, and it's top down so not involving the user so at the end i mean once you deploy after a lot of months your mes solution i mean you realize that i mean it does not do what what is needed and and a lot of the time you see user rejecting that because yeah the the, the new processes you are pushing down are not the ones that are needed for those users so that that's that's definitely mm. a big cultural shift on completely approach the project in a different way and accept that instead of having 600 or 1000 pages of specification written since day zero you just uh, i mean approach that in a more agile way so you you start thinking in mvps and you start mm-hmm. seeing also your solution growing and and you start using your solution maturely in the process in a way that you can really pivot when when things are not okay and then really reducing waste of of resources of money and uh, yeah, of rework at the end of the day. So that's, that's and, a and that's a, yeah, it's a continual, not just a continual process of developing software against that. It's also accepting there's a continual requirement for a level of investment, isn't there? Because for to go to agile rather than thinking in that kind of project big bang mindset, you've got to think that actually we always spend this type of money. Therefore, if we spend it smarter and have a more predictable spend profile, then you can adopt things like um, Agile. Because that's why often people ask me, well, how can we get customers to switch to Agile when they need to have their CapEx and all of these type of things around that? Where actually they spend that money anyway. It's just they don't quite realize it as a whole <laughs> and look at it as a, yeah. a strategy or an investment approach, I guess. is. Yeah. So. No, in, indeed. And I mean, and somehow there is this idea that, I mean, having everything set in advance, you have the comfort that, I mean, things will go right and as predicted. But as a matter of fact, more than 70% of IT projects fail. So, I mean, mm. there is something significantly wrong with the approach. And, and I think Agile since now many years give us an alternative approach that surely, I mean, make you more efficient in, in realizing what you need to do in terms of I mean, product solution or project even. So given all that management stuff, let's get back onto technology. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So where, 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 what technologies are you excited by? I know we talked about a bit about low code, but what other, what other things are in that domain and where do you think things are heading in, from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, obviously low code is, is really a big thing. I mean, it actually is and it will become a very big and pervasive thing 
in in all the industry and in manufacturing includes because you see that there is always a lack of of uh, I mean IT competencies and uh, I mean finding great developer nowadays is quite it's quite challenged. So the resources are scarce and very expensive. So low code open up to a new uh, I mean, set of people. I mean bright people that can finally realize what what they have uh, in mind without knowing uh, without being R code uh, developer. So that that's basically the, the democratization as today mm. or, or, or often we see of uh, yeah of development basically. So that 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 is great, and but, I mean I think low code also come. I mean in terms of processes as we discussed before, we I mean pushing towards agile because it's 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 intrinsically designed for for agile, but also I mean it comes with the uh, I mean new concept or again new I mean those are new <laughs> but new for manufacturing or anyway <laughs> we don't see often manufacturing because those are quite old right now but like. Uh, I mean, building a, a strong uh, DevOps uh, processes and tool chain in a way because you you see really low code is from I mean from ideation to development and and to production is a is a seamless uh, uh, basically flow and 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 this is again something somehow uh, I would say new for 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 our industry for for manufacturing. But, but that brings a lot of efficiency. There is no more, I mean, installation with CD and, and hope for the best. And every time you do an update, uh, I mean, you need to go to a very expensive and costly process. Now we are, we have, I mean, the foundation are in cloud. So mm. that's the, again, another, another big, uh, let's say we see another big momentum there because again, cloud was always, uh, Difficult to assess for for manufacturer, but right now we see more and more uh, manufacturing company that that are start approaching cloud probably with an hybrid strategy because there are still data that are uh, sensitive and they don't want to put in in a, in, a, in a cloud space. But surely for 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 several other tasks, I mean, cloud is is a reality even in manufacturing. So cloud is is another big uh, big trend we are we are looking at. And definitely, I mean, finally, we are discussing about uh, architecture as well. So mm. I mean, having a, a beautiful design architecture that is sustainable, that's also another key aspect. Because, again, in many, many times when we enter, uh, let's say, not even talking about the enterprise, but let's talking about the manufacturing plan. I mean, you can easily have 60 to 100 uh, plus uh, IT system starting from Excel to big uh, MES uh, MES solutions. So and again, um, the cost of ownership and uh, basically the lack of innovation in such a landscape is it's huge because you cannot move without destroying uh, something else that you don't even know that is connected to what you change. So I mean, again, that's crucial, isn't it? That that point that you made there, I think, is a real real killer point because. People being held back by their existing architectures because they're they're not innovative platforms, um, and this is coming back about how we fund it, how how the DevOps chain works, the fact that you can deliver requirements far rapidly using proper structured architectures, and even I think AWS talked about it about the kind of build strategy. Maybe we won't become soft developers as such; we'll become builders <laughs> of systems. Builders, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is a which is a a, a concept that. 
you know you have to you have to kind of buy into it's not yes you could do a halfway house with hybrid architectures with vm machines in the cloud and all this type of thing and on-prem approaches but ultimately you've got to buy into a a methodology a belief that um these cloud platforms can reduce your overall costs because when you look at the kind of scales we're talking about it could be um you like you said thousands of applications on the shop floor of which you're using 10 15 percent of the capability each you're just driving those inefficiencies there is is fairly obvious really isn't it (laughs) yeah yeah let's try and use a hundred percent of everything we do by creating um uh, Wherever where it's small apps that do specifically what you want to do within an architecture that allows you to develop and scale rapidly, uh, that, that's where innovation is, really, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. And, and I mean, again, the, these low code movement and cloud architecture give a big opportunity for 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 these uh, I mean, manufacturer because again, you don't need to do a big bang and say, okay, now you wipe out your landscape and put this magical MOM or anyway, ma- magical IT system that solve your every problem. But instead you, you start picking, cherry picking your, your legacy application, your Excel uh, macro monsters and start replacing that and clean step-by-step step, clean your, your, your landscape with the, with the small apps, uh, autonomous apps. And I mean, again, taking a lot of inspiration from the microservice principle. And then, I mean, once you finish to, I mean, do your step-by-step journey, you end up with with a clean landscape where you you are surely, I mean, IT system, let's say system of record, so the the MES of the the, the SAP or whatever the Oracle, but but then the you you start you try to keep this system as vanilla as possible and uh, and and use, I mean, these. I mean, local technology and, and or other 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 uh, basically approaches like the microservice in general. So we, you, you mm-hmm. don't need, you, you can be polyglot in that. It doesn't have to be prescriptive on only low code. And again, also to avoid to convey the the, the message that the low code is is uh, now the silver bullet for everything. I mean, again, the, the the beauty of designing a good architecture and start to plan for your architecture give you the the possibility also to pick. The right technology for the right task, and that's also mm. something we we didn't see in the past with MES because, yeah, basically once you buy an MES, you expect that it does everything from uh, I mean production, inventory, maintenance, uh, and quality as 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 an artifact. I mean, teach us, but but at the end of the day, if you look at the market of MES, I mean, none of the existing MES does everything, but by far, I mean, not even probably fifty percent what you should do so take it the system for what what it gives you and then i mean complement the system with uh, yeah with other technology it could be local it could be i mean microservice or custom developed i mean depends also a lot on the capability of the manufacturer now because again to start your development journey from scratch i mean and you are not a, a software company because you mm. i mean you are producing uh, i mean Parts or, or, or <laughs> food or whatever I mean you are producing, but so it's 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 a challenge and risky job. So you need also to equip your IT with with the right skills and with the right tool for for the skills. So and again, I think low code and tool like Atlas, tool like Mendix, uh, are, are are particularly 
interesting for this because you can basically use your current resources to produce uh, uh, yeah application that solves the real business problem of of your users. So, Excellent. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up. You know, we can talk on for hours anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's generally what happens when we start. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, excellent. Thank you for your insight there, Marco. And um, uh, be good to catch up soon. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward. <laughs> yes, thanks. Bye. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the Atlas podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us, Martin. Thank you, Alex. Mm-hmm. And uh, as always, I've got a, a quote to finish up with. Uh, this one, yeah, I guess we've been looking at the current state and the future of technologies and problem solving with, uh, with cloud computing. And I thought this quote from Bill Gates fit well. And he said, the computer was born to solve problems that did not exist before. <laughs> That's so much what innovation is about, isn't it? And technology, yeah. you know, we talk about the kind of technology led um, endeavors of industry four, and then we kind of go, okay, that's going to be quite useful now. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. All right. I will see you next week for the final podcast of the year. Okay. See you then. Bye. Cheers, Martin. Bye-bye. If you're looking for more information on the world of Atlas or if you have any questions at all, please head on over to weareatlas.com and let us know your thoughts.